Hey, what's up? I'm Gustavo Ariano. This week, we're playing some of the Times' greatest hits, our favorite episode from this past year. And here's one of the first ones we ever did from way back in May. My colleague Deborah Netburn talks about how video games came between her and her son during the pandemic and how it brought them back together. Take it away, Deborah. I'm Deborah Netburn, and this is The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Let me tell you a story about my pandemic journey from ignorance to understanding. I questioned my beliefs, I engaged in radical rethinking, and I did it all by playing video games. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been struggling with how all-important video games are to my 12-year-old son, Jonah. Jonah and I are really close, but I started to notice that after hours of staring at the computer screen for virtual school, he can't wait to open his laptop again to start playing Roblox or Minecraft. He's been playing these games for years, and I still have no clue what he's actually doing. For me, Computers represent work and time wasted scrolling endlessly through social media posts. But for Jonah, video games are a refuge. What freaked me out the most was the fear that Jonah was starting to prefer video games to the real world. I was getting scared he was losing the ability to interact with people in real life. To pry him away from the screen, I used to make him go for a walk with me in the afternoon. I'd ask if he heard from his friends, and he talked about the games he'd played. Well, there was like this boss that like destroyed the old map, and then a and then like a rocket ran into like the map, and then it exploded, and then there was a and then like there was a new map. And it was, and that was I love like Jonah so much, but when he better, talks like this, my brain is like, no, and I feel guilty because it's clearly important to him. And then I have this terrible feeling. How am I even related to this kid who loves nothing more than putting on headphones and disappearing into technology? And what kind of mother was I that I was allowing him to do it? I fantasized about taking him to play tennis, teaching him to cook a few meals, encouraging him to make art. But at the same time, I was working. And when the workday was over, I was really tired. And nothing I suggested seemed to engage Jonah as much as video games. Well, I guess life was just really boring in the pandemic, like doing the same thing every day. and. It was really repetitive, and it's like video games really were like the highlight of my day because like everything else kind of wasn't like great. We did eat ice cream outside. We did do that, yeah. (laughs) I'm a science reporter for the LA Times, so naturally I wanted to break open this black box and better understand why my son was so devoted to these games. And also, why was it so hard for me to accept how much he loved them? 
I realized I needed to get into his world, and what I found was beyond anything I had expected. We'll have more after this break. I know I'm not the only parent concerned about their kids' relationship with technology. One friend told me how baffled she felt when her daughter set an alarm for 6 a.m., so she could be one of the first to explore a new world in her favorite video game. Another friend, who doesn't even own a TV, confessed he had bought his son a Switch during the pandemic so he could meet up with friends virtually. To help me get a better sense of what was going on in my family and others, I decided to call up an expert on video games and parenting. There is so much fighting in the home because of these devices. And it's really sad, you know? It's really, really sad that this technology has created so much strife in families. Julia Storm is a digital media wellness educator in Los Angeles, and she helps struggling parents and kids navigate our digital age. She told me the fear that many parents experience around their kids' screen time, it's legitimate. I think that as parents, we want to ensure that our children are developing socially and emotionally in the best way possible. And when we see this third party, let's call it, whether it's a video game or a phone, exerting so much influence over our children It's very anxiety-inducing because we know that there are forces at work that their intention is not to help our children grow and develop in the best possible ways. Their intention is purely just to make money. Talking to Julia made me think about how even adults struggle to resist the pull of screens. We obsessively check email, scroll through Instagram, Twitter, And that makes it extra scary when we watch our kids fall prey to those same forces. I think that we all have this problem and it was foisted on us. It wasn't something that we really chose. And we find ourselves often at the mercy of our devices and trying to use just sheer force of will to walk away. And we know as adults that it can really co-opt our time and our minds. But at least we have, you know, we're fully formed, right? But kids, you know, their prefrontal cortex is not developed. Their command center isn't fully formed. And they don't have the ability to really make those decisions for themselves. And to see a child not have agency is upsetting. But part of her job is also reminding concerned parents that not all screen time is bad. And especially in the pandemic, it plays an important role. If kids can't see each other in real life, meeting up in the virtual world is better than nothing. 
I'd rather have kids interact in some form with other children than not interact at all. And, you know, there are very real social interactions that happen through video games, especially when you've got, you know, sort of a private chat going with a group of friends. It's still a form of play. It's a way to interact. It's a way to be social. It's a way to escape the mundane chores of everyday life and a way to sort of engage different parts of your mind. And some of the games really take kids into these fantasy worlds that, you know, can really feel like a sort of strange and joyful journey that they're taking. I don't think that they are a great substitute for a child's own imagination. But in terms of just finding a a space and a place to meet friends and to play and to escape, I think video games can provide a really good space for that. As a wellness educator who specializes in video games, Julia found herself in demand as the pandemic wore on. Parents who were concerned about their kids' growing dependence on video games will call her up to help them figure out how they're supposed to deal with it. Julia starts by validating their feelings. And then she poses a series of questions to put the situation into perspective. Is my child sleeping enough? Are they eating healthy? Are they exercising a little bit every day? Are they connecting with friends? Are they connecting with me? Are they helping around the house? Okay. Are they part of the family system? Are they reading or doing some kind of creative, solitary activity for a little while? If they're hitting all of those and they're doing some screen time, I'm less worried about the screen time because my kid is healthy and thriving and seems, you know, emotionally okay. Well, Jonah was sleeping fine. He's generally a healthy eater. He doesn't exercise every day, but when we suggest he take a walk or a run, he's usually happy to do it. And he's always energized when he sees his friends in real life. And while he might grumble about the chores we ask him to do, he does do them. So if my kid seems fine, why was there such a barrier between us? I thought maybe the problem is me. Before reporting this story, I felt intuitively that video games were bad. Not necessarily evil, but not good either. And it's not like I've never played a video game before in my life. My sisters and I used to play Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt on our original Nintendo system in the den. The wall was pockmarked from where I threw the controller in frustration. Later, my husband and I played Guitar Hero and Just Dance on the Wii that we got shortly before having kids. As a science journalist who reads studies, I know the claims that simply playing video games will inevitably lead to violent behavior or addiction. They're largely unfounded. In fact, in recent years, attitudes around video games have shifted. 
Take, for example, the American Academy of Pediatrics. The Academy used to recommend no more than two hours of screen time per day for children 5 to 17. But four years ago, it changed course. Now, it recommends that families work together to create a media use plan. The plan should take into account a range of factors, including a kid's health, personality, and the family's values. As I reported this story, I was starting to question why I had simply accepted some hierarchy of play with playing in nature at the top and video games at the bottom. I wanted to stop judging Jonah for loving his virtual world so much. And maybe the best way to do that was not only to accept it, but even become part of it. So I decided to consult another expert to teach me how. My name is Sinem Sehan. I'm an associate professor of educational technology in the School of Education at California State University, San Marcos. I'm really interested to know what parents and kids do with video games, not just in terms of uh, playing video games, but also how uh, they design video games together and how this activity can promote family communication, connection, and learning. Sinem says, play is part of what we do as humans. We make up games as a way to connect with the world. Kids obviously learn through play. Play is part of their being, uh, their way of connecting to the world. And what happens over time is, you know, your gaming, your play experiences evolve. And I see video games as a part of this evolution. But I think in society, for some reason, video games are um, positioned as if they're a different kind of play, they're a different kind of media, and they should be sort of kept at bay. And that's why I think uh, why especially parents are struggling to, uh, to connect with video games. They understand that kids are interested in video games, that makes sense, but they struggle to connect with their kids through playing video games with them. And that's when it really hit me. If I care about Jonah, I have to be willing to care about the things he cares about. I'm not interested in soccer, but if Jonah loved playing soccer, of course, I'd go to his games and cheer him on when he made an awesome play. What made video games so different? I didn't have to be shut out of his virtual world but if I kept dismissing the games he loved, why would he ever let me in? As Sanem spoke, I thought about how it's an act of generosity to give people the space to talk about the things they care about. So what is it about this game that you really like? If the video game is about something, you know, what is that topic? What is the message of this video game? Let's make sense of this message. So it's really important that parents really understand the games and be able to talk with their kids about video games. And also, if they're interested in being a better mentor and being a better sort of gatekeeper in some ways uh, <laughs> regarding video games, they will be in a better position if they actually participate. One of the beauties of playing with your kids is that you yourself model how to be a learner. So it's not about you telling, you know, the child what to do, but you're there with them playing. So the way you approach your frustrations, your, quote, failures during the game, 
is a model for your child. After getting off the phone with Sanam, I decided to experiment with her advice. That night, I asked Jonah to tell me about his favorite game. He sat right up in bed and said, that's a really good question, mom. Maybe you should do Mario Kart, actually. That's a really fun game. And I, it's like, I kind of feel like I've I never really met someone that's like, I hate Mario Kart. It's just like a really good game. Is it fun to play with other people? It's fun to play with other people. It's one of the few games that my dad likes, and I like playing with him. I wonder if you would like Mario Kart. I don't I don't think it would be good for me, I think. I'd be willing to try, yeah. but is it kind of just, like, really crazy and bonkers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I like the games like Undertale, like those stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. But you don't mind playing them with me, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't exactly psyched to spend my precious downtime playing video games. But when your 12-year-old kid says he actually wants to spend time with you, it's hard to say no. Okay. Yeah. Okay, nice. So my strategy has been, let's be as nice as possible in this game. So one Sunday afternoon, we plopped in front of our TV and settled on the game Undertale. It's a role-playing game where you kind of uncover the story as you go along. Here's the tip. Ooh! That's a lot of money. <laughs> we named our character Kiara. Kiara is a kid who falls into a hole in a mountain and enters an underworld where the monster race was banished by humans after an ancient war. Think we're ready, Mom? I don't know. To get out of the mountain, we had to travel through this underworld often by riverboat, until we found the magical barrier that would allow us to go home. Do I sound like Jonah now? I think we might have to worry about that, Mom. (laughs) We had to kill our first mentor, which made Jonah feel really bad, but we also made friends with a skeleton named Sans. We received help from a scientist who also seemed to have a giant crush on us, and we purchased a lot of cinnamon bunnies. There were also puzzles to solve and bosses to fight along the way. I'm not gonna lie, Jonah had to walk me through most of the puzzles and the battles. Uh, uh, Oh, I forgot to tell you. Okay, what are you supposed to do? I forgot, I think blue you stand forward. I'm so sorry, I gave you the wrong order. Everything's gonna be fine, okay? Okay, orange, I think you have to move, and blue, you stay still. Okay. Let's just keep heading to the right. Throughout the game, we both tried to stay as encouraging as possible. Ooh. John, I really think you're doing great. Yeah, see, you've got everything under control. Everything's under control. I think they're really nervous, too. Yeah. One stipulation I made was that I won't get stressed out about a video game when the real world itself is so stressful. He took that to heart and really worked on it. Okay, stupid frog it. No, okay, chill, chill, chill. Chill. Okay, chill. Sometimes it felt like I wasn't doing anything, but Jonah said he liked having me around. Do you feel like I'm not doing anything because I don't no. have a controller? I mean, mostly what you, I mean, you can do stuff if no, you No, no, it's okay. I was just wondering if you feel do you feel like we're playing oh. together, even though I'm I not feel on like the we're playing together? Yeah. 
think I'd be freaking out a whole lot more if it wasn't for you. <laughs> really? Yeah. Thank you, Jonah. Over spring break, Jonah and I finished up Undertale. We were both completely floored by the ending. And it led us to talk a lot about morality, self-sacrifice versus survival, and how we'd been manipulated into behaving in ways we weren't always proud of. We also talked about how life doesn't always have happy endings and how sometimes when you do what feels like the right thing, the result can still suck for the people you are trying to help. And as it turns out, I'm as fun to play video games with as his friends. Okay, so how do you feel about playing with me versus playing with your friends? Uh, I kind of feel like playing with you, like it's a lot chiller and like not like as insane like when playing with my friends as I said like Mario Kart like you're constantly trying to be in first place and like throwing shells at people and banana peels as traps but like playing with you like Undertale it was like really fun and I think I like playing with you more because like I didn't really get bored playing Undertale with you and it definitely wasn't competitive like it was a chill experience and it, it was funny and as I've said you made like some really good decisions along the way I think that makes me feel really good thanks Jonah <laughs> I love you Jonah I love you too we're looking for some more role-playing games to play now I even reached out to the LA Times video game critic Todd Martins who suggested Broken Age it's an adventure game about two teens leading parallel lives. I'm intrigued. I wouldn't say I'm a video game convert. I still won't play Mario Kart. But the Undertale experience was definitely more fun than I expected. And it was just as meaningful as any time we've gone on hikes together or even out for ice cream. And if it means I'm creating more opportunities to connect with Jonah, I'll keep playing as long as he'll have me. This mom has just leveled up. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we revisit our story about skateboarding culture and the new generation of BIPOC skaters who are changing it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rabb. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Mike Heflin, Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, and Shelby Grad. And thanks to Abby Fentress-Swanson. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you a podcast. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. Gracias.